Blog Talk Radio. Fifteen show. My name is David Fournier, the CG instructor here at Restoring Grace. First of all, I want to thank so many of you who have taken time to listen to the Zohar and Fifteen show. Uh, it's doing really well, and I'm real excited by that. Uh, your participation, you're coming in week after week, listening to the show, sending me the email at DaveRestoringGrace.com. Again, that's DaveRestoringGrace.com with your ideas and your thoughts for the show. Thank you again so much. Tonight, we're going to talk about feeding the hungry dog. Feeding the Hungry Dog. And we'll be in Zohar, Volume 21, Section Pincus, Chapter 102, Verse 680. And that's page 146 if you happen to have your Zohar, uh, Volume 21, with you. You know, one of the difficulties, and it's a good difficulty, in reading the Zohar is you will go through pages and pages and pages of some really difficult stuff. And even with my background, a little bit of the history, and somewhat of a familiarity with it, it still can be some pretty deep stuff. And out of nowhere will come a verse that seemingly doesn't fit anywhere in the context or anywhere in the conversation. And such is verse number 680. Here in, in uh, the section of Pincus, we've been talking about the different spirits. We've been talking about the sin and how it feeds the evil inclinations and going on and on. And suddenly this small verse, because there have been some pretty big paragraphs so far, the small verse comes in. I want to read it to you. And then I want to give you some comments on it. But the small verse begins by saying this. It is like a hungry dog. Whoever does not want to be bitten by it gives it meat or bread to eat or and water to drink. And this is the secret of the matter is contained in the verse. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, Proverbs 25:21. He thereby becomes friendly towards the person and not only does not bite him with numbers of tribulations, but becomes an advocate for him and loves him. Osama bin Laden, who seems to be an unusual person to quote, but Osama bin Laden said that terrorism will end when every man has a home for his family. Terrorism will end when every man will have a home for his family. When we think about the death, destruction, and the theft, and the murders, and the robberies, when we think of all these things, I wonder sometimes if part, and I know there's no curing it 100%, I get that. But I wonder if part of the answer, if part of the challenge, if part of the situation could actually be this, that we aren't very kind to each other, and we aren't much about reaching out to our enemies. You know, the verse says, when you've got these angry dogs. Now, here in America, when we think about it, to understand the verse, we've got to first raise our understanding of hungry dogs. I mean, my dogs get hungry, uh, but I don't particularly think they're ever going to turn on me and eat me. I don't think I have to run from them. We can't think of Lassie. We can't think of your little silky terror, terrier pug cuddle dogs. The writer is talking about a different dog. He's talking about pack animals. Now, many of the Old Testament verses that we read that speak of the desolation of Jerusalem or how empty a place will be or how there will be no humans there always talk about these dogs roaming in the wild, sometimes jackals roaming in the wild. And if you were to be around a pack of these kinds of dogs, this verse would make perfect sense to you. 
because it's not talking about, again, Lassie and the Kelly dogs. It's talking about dogs who are going to kill to survive. They're enemies. They're enemies of your life. They're enemies of your family. They're enemies of your flesh. But the writer in the book of Zohar, the Old Testament writers, and Jesus himself say something very interesting about this. They say that we are to bless our enemies. That's what Jesus said. Curse them not. This writer is saying, meet their needs. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And when you read a verse like this, you say, wait a minute. Who in the world, who in their right mind, who in their right mind, would entertain the idea of being kind to their enemies, of feeding their enemies? Well, that's not what we do. We're Americans. We destroy our enemies. We blow people up. We, we kill those that oppose us. Have you ever wondered if maybe some of the very things that are bringing all this violence to the table, some of the very things that bring all these events to the table, are simply people who just want bread or some meat or water or a home or a job or some dignity? What's interesting about this verse when people read it is they miss the point. The verse speaks of what the Kabbalists refer to as enlightened greed. And what enlightened greed is this. It's taught by the Kabbalists. While we clearly broadcast how good our actions are for those poor people, while we broadcast about how good our actions are for those poor people, and how kind we are to have given of our resources and of our time, we miss the point of how much we benefit. And this is false humility. When we say, oh, I'm doing it for these people, or we're doing it for those people, first of all, we're continuing the, the dividing line between us, and we need to stop that. We also need to realize that there's great benefit. There's great benefit in doing what God has asked us to do. When he says, give a cup of water in the name of the Lord, he means it. When he says, take care of the fatherless and the widows, he means it. I believe that most Christians just don't get it. They just don't understand this point. Our protection, I want you to really think about this right before we go to the commercial. Our protection against the evildoers, against the access of evil, could often just simply be providing them for their needs instead of killing them. Many people don't know this, but during the Iraq, Iraqi conflict, the Iraqi conflict, Amnesty International reports that 500 thousand children were either killed, orphaned, or, or homeless and on their own as a result. 500,000. Is that a statistic you're proud of? Is that where you can wave our big flag over the top of things and say, look what we did. We killed, orphaned, or abandoned, made homeless 500,000 children. Could there have been another way? This verse is saying there's another that it's possible that we could prevent these numerous afflictions or these numerous tribulations by being kind to our enemies and taking care of them. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Looking for something different at your next retreat, Bible study, or weekend seminar? Restoring Grace could be the answer for you. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and we gladly support encourage and minister in many churches across the country. You can reach me at Dave at RestoringGrace.com Again, that's Dave at RestoringGrace.com or you can call 719-233-6265 719-233-6265 for your next upcoming event. 
our protection against evildoers could be simply meeting their needs instead of killing them. It also focuses. The verse focuses on meeting their needs instead of creating one. Let me explain what I mean by that. The, the explosive growth of the early Christian community, the explosive growth of it, was built on two very strong pillars. One of them our show is not about tonight. One of them our show is, but I'll, I'll tell you what both of them are. First of all, is Christianity in its early form presented a very accessible God that was connected to his creation. You didn't have to go through a mediator. You didn't have to go through a temple service. You didn't have to go through a pagan sacrifice ritual and hope that the God or gods was getting you. This God, according to the early Christian testimony, wanted to talk with you, wanted to be part of your life, wanted to participate in your life. And that was very attractive, especially to people who, for a long time, Thought God that God was simply a God for the rich. The second thing that they did is they met each other's needs, and no one had lack. Why don't you think about that? They met each other's needs, and no one had lack. Now, this was huge. This was huge because the early Christians, they crossed all known social and economical barriers. I want you to think about that for a minute. The Christianity, the early Christians, crossed every kind. There were lawyers, there were doctors, there were uh, cattlemen, there were farmers, there were street peoples, there was all kinds of things, and they crossed it all. And so the guy that had more, he didn't just give 10%, he gave even more so that the one that had none had something, and they made themselves friends who were former enemies, especially in social and economic, if you're very familiar with that period of history, your social, your social and economic uh, indicators were what really set the group that you were in. They crossed all those barriers. Now, you might ask this question, and it's a good question. Is this, why not just let your enemies starve? I mean, instead of having to go to war and risk your own life and the life of your loved ones, it would just let them starve. I mean, it sure beats killing them. I mean, it sure beats killing them, right? Going over and shooting them and abandoning their children and orphaning their children and murdering their children. Why not just let them starve? Here's something that's very difficult for people to understand. Do you know that God loves your enemies? Do you know that God loves your enemies? I read a quote once, which is very powerful and really had me had me thinking, and I'll loosely paraphrase here, and I apologize. I can't get it exactly right. When... Your God, you can know that you created your God in your image when he hates all the things that you hate. Let me say that again. You know you've created your God in your image when he hates all the same things you hate, when he hates all the same people that you hate. Do you know that God loves your enemies? Is it hard for you to say that you know for a fact that Jesus died on the cross for your enemies? It also, in this verse, I'm going to read it again here in just a moment, it also can reduce the tribulations in your own life. Did you catch that last one? It is like a hungry dog. Whoever does not want to be bitten by it gives it meat or bread to eat and water to drink. And the secret of the matter is contained in the verse, your, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Proverbs twenty five twenty one again echoed in the words of Jesus in the New Testament. He hereby becomes friendly towards the person and not only does not bite him with a number of tribulations, 
but becomes an advocate for him and loves him. I want you to think of this for just a minute. This verse is suggesting by helping people to meet their common needs, by helping people to have bread, have a place to live, have water, that they are no longer would be our enemies, and that they potentially could be people that could turn around and be advocates and love us. It's amazing that in the book of Acts, as you read the early Christian community's testimony, that's exactly how they became what they were. It's exactly how they did it. I mean, after all, who wants to get bit? Who really wants to get bit? Who really wants to live their life like that? This type of social provision, the idea of taking care of our enemies, feeding our enemies, clothing our enemies, loving our enemies, being kind to our enemies, this kind of social provision is taught both in the Old Testament documents and the New Testament documents in principles by key people in those scriptures. The book of uh, Proverbs is attributed to King Solomon, claimed to be the wisest man in the world. He's the one who said, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread. And Jesus comes back in the New Testament documents to say, bless those. Bless your enemies. Don't curse them. How someone lives their lives. I'm going to wish you really listen to this. How someone lives their lives. The choices that they make in their lives. I we don't help them. The way that someone lives their life. Looking for something different at your next retreat? The difference between how they live and how we think they should live should never be a reason that we don't help them. The way that, that we love others and take care of them could be the doorway to a relationship with them. And then could become what leads them to knowing Jesus like we know him. I want you to really think about your faith. Is it our reaction anymore that when we have an enemy, let's kill him? Let's slaughter him? Or do we look at this verse and say, if our enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. To be able to reach people where they live and help those people meet their needs. My name is David Fournier, one of the senior instructors here at Restoring Grace. Thank you so much for listening to us either live or archive, and I'll see you back next week in the Zohar in 15.